All right, good afternoon. I guess good evening is more accurate. I guess we finally got our summer weather in September. We got some heat here. Hope you guys are staying cool. But tonight we're picking it up back in Job, the book of Job, chapter 2. And so, again, the book of Job, just if you're not sure, go to the middle of your Bible. Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. And then just go back a couple of couple of books there and you'll see the book of Job and then make your way to chapter 2. And uh, we've been off for a few weeks and so um, um, we'll pick it up where we left off with a little bit of recap. So let's go before the Lord in prayer and we'll start there. Father, we thank you again for your word and we ask that it would work uh, in and through our hearts and our lives, Lord, that um, we have it open before us, Lord, because uh, we want to hear from you. And we know you've preserved these things, specifically the story of Job uh, for us. Though it was written many thousands of years ago, or the events certainly took place then, um, Father, it has great application for us. And we ask that you would move in our hearts and in our midst, Lord, that you would draw us closer and we would see you more clearly, Father, and love you more dearly, Lord, as um, we just look to you tonight, Father, to lead and guide us. So again, move by your Spirit in our hearts and in our midst, Lord, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Job chapter 2. Now, last time, you know, we left off in, in the chapter 1, and of course we went through, as we do on a new book, we go through some uh, history and some background on the book, and so, um, you know, last time we, we talked about uh, Job losing everything, and if you remember, as maybe that picture gives us some memory of that, that as Satan was before God, and we'll talk about that in a little bit here in chapter 2, uh, he allowed Satan to... Um, to test Job, and Job was the wealthiest guy. He probably was the Elon Musk of his days. He was very wealthy. Uh, he's certainly the most wealthy person in that whole area in the East, it says. But, you know, I'm sure he was up there in the top few of, of the wealthiest people in the world. And, you know, he loved the Lord. Uh, he had seven sons and three daughters, I believe it was, and he... Um, uh, you know, had a farming business, we'd say today, had a trucking business. He had, you know, uh, a number of businesses. And of course, you remember that uh, one servant after another came. Oh, we just lost all your camels. We lost all your sheep. We lost all your, you know, uh, I think goats or rams. And then, you know, there was a big hurricane, we'd say, or a tornado, I guess, more accurately. And your, all your children were in one house, in the oldest brother's house, and the roof just collapsed and killed them all. And this just happened one after another. I mean, literally, the, the first one would get the few sentences out of what happened, and then just as he took a breath, the next guy came in and said what was happening, what was happening. And, uh, you know, um, we, we saw all that. Of course, we saw before that, which Job, of course, didn't know, was the curtain pulled back in heaven to see what was going on behind it. Of course, Job doesn't know that, and yet he hears this, what would be probably the most horrific news 
maybe would ever a person would ever get in their lives. Uh, he says this, if you want to look back at chapter 1, the last couple of verses there. Verse 21 says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And so, you know, we have this great statement of faith at the end of chapter 1 there, even though, uh, again, uh, probably the worst day, uh, certainly the worst day in his life, probably the worst day in anybody's life, uh, and certainly by far uh, the worst day. So he has lost everything at this point as far as uh, house uh, or money, businesses, uh, his children. Uh, he is just, uh, everything is gone. And again, he has this great statement of faith that he trusts the Lord through this. And that's how we ended up chapter 1. And now we're in chapter 2 again. And, and again, the curtain for us is pulled back in heaven and it's revealed what's going on in heaven. And we don't have a lot of that in Scripture. You know, there are certain places we do have it. Uh, you know, some of the prophets certainly see it. Uh, certainly, you know, John, uh, uh, one of the disciples, not John the Baptist, but John, one of the disciples, saw that in Revelation. Uh, certainly we see it here, but not a whole lot of pulled back and, and telling us and giving us heaven's perspective um, uh, very often. But here we have that. And so after all this happened to Job, then again, where the scene takes us back. And we don't know how long it was before you know, Job said that and the scene in heaven takes place. It, it seems like it was uh, pretty soon right after it. But uh, again, we don't know exactly how long it was. And verse 1 tells us, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Well, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incite me against him to destroy him without cause. Now again, this, this conversation or this moving of the curtain and looking on what's going on in heaven was very close to what we read in chapter 1. Um, almost word for word, really, with the exception of the last uh, sentence there, too. And again, as we talked about it in chapter 1, it, it seems like, you know, the sons of God, which is a, a reference to angels, obviously, and, uh, you know, it seems like they have to report into heaven in some sense. Uh, at least that's the, the, the feel that I get from this. And, you know, when the Lord ask Satan what's going on, you know, Satan said, yeah, you know what, I've been, I've been, you know, messing, you know, I've been hunting around on, on earth, you know, I've been checking it out, checking out the people, checking out what's going on, and of course we know, you know, that uh, that's exactly what he's doing. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll put up here, First Peter uh, 5.18 says, Your enemy the devil prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
And so when he says, I've been going to and fro uh, on the earth and walking back and forth, he is like a lion and just hunting his prey. And that's exactly what he's doing when he's here on earth. And uh, he is going back and forth. And then, you know, again, um, the Lord in verse 3 talks to Satan, you know, hey, what about Job? You know, uh, again, this is the Lord's view. You know, a lot of times we hold a pretty high opinion of ourselves. Uh, you know, at least we think, you know, we're this and that. And because, you know, we, we know our motives behind us or we think, you know, because I have good motives that, you know, makes a lot. And we can kind of think of ourselves more than maybe we should at times. But, but certainly here, you know, what God's opinion is what matters. And what he's saying about Job is he, you know, he is just, there's nobody like him. You know, just does what's right. Again, not sinless. That's not what blameless means. Not sinless, certainly. But he's upright. He, he loves me. He wants to do what I've called him to do. He fears me and he stays away from evil. In other words, he respects my word and me and what he knows to do is right. And he moves away from what is evil. And then he says, you know, uh, basically your accusation against Job, which was, oh, you know, you just bless him. That's what he said in chapter one. The reason you, you know, you bless him and you've given him all this stuff and you watch over him and all this. But if you took all that stuff away from him, he'd sell you out in a second. You know, the only reason, you know, he, he loves you and does these right things is because you you know, uh, you know, you give him these things and bless him. So he's motiv- motivated by, by, you know, selfish motivations, you know, by greed. Uh, we would call those uh, people like uh, gold diggers. Well, I don't know if they even use that term anymore. But, you know, they hang around rich and famous people uh, to get something out of it, right, um, in some way. And, and that's what he's accusing Job of. And then the Lord basically says, well, you're completely wrong about him. You know, he's still doing what's right. He still has the right heart, even though all that happened to him. And even the Lord said, you know, you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So the Lord, you know, says here that, you know, Job didn't do anything, if you would, to deserve this. Now, there was no correction involved with this and certainly no punishment. You know, as, as the children of God, we need to understand this very clearly, that God does not punish us. You know, a lot of times we think He's punishing us for things that we should have done and didn't do, or things that we did do and we shouldn't have done, or any combination of those things. You know, He's out to punish us, but He doesn't. You know, when we uh, put our faith in Jesus on His finished work of the cross, paying for our sins, and we enter into His family uh, and the bride of Christ, you know, all those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And he looks at the righteousness of Jesus and impugns that or gives that to us. And, and so there's no punishment because there's no sin. And we need to remember that. Now, he does allow correction, no question about that. He does, if we're going off course, he moves us back. Or if we're not walking in his will, certainly he'll... Uh, he'll move us back as any loving parent would do with their children, you know, to get them in the right place and doing the right thing. Um, but just to be clear, uh, as we go through the book of Job, know that it wasn't anything uh, on Job's end that the Lord was doing all this. Well, now we'll see why he's doing it, and it'll have a reason and a purpose, and everything will work out for good in the end. 
But, you know, just to make it clear right here, it's not having to do with correcting Job uh, for something wrong or certainly no punishment. Now, he's going to have a greater and deeper knowledge of our Heavenly Father through it all, as we'll see. But, but uh, just, just we know that. And so God's calling Satan, basically. Hey, you know, your accusation was completely false. Well, verse 4 says, And so Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man uh, has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will surely curse you to your face. Okay, he lost everything. He, you know, his children have died. Uh, he doesn't have a, a penny to his name. Uh, you know, things are as low as low can be. Uh, but the reason he still holds on is because you still treat him good. In other words, yeah, all, this, all these things happen to him, but nothing has happened to him. And again, if he, um, you know, if you allowed something to happen to him, he would certainly sell you out in a moment. You know, that's his accusation uh, to Job. Uh, to the father uh, about Job. And, and again, you know, these things just maybe call to mind some verses that, you, you know, you think of when you think of the devil or Satan. And Revelation uh, 12, uh, 10 is probably one that you know pretty well. And it says, you know, now, uh, uh, now have come to the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And of course, it's talking about the devil or Satan. So in Revelation 12, uh, you know, somewhere-ish halfway through or so, the, the tribulation, maybe a little bit before the great tribulation, Satan is cast out of heaven permanently and not allowed to, to go there at all. And, you know, and if we read on in chapter 12, you know, he is hotter than hot and just looking to destroy uh, and really pour out his, his anger on, on people. But again, this just, just shows us that that's what he does. You know, that's really what Satan means, accuser. And, and that's what he does, you know. Um, and, and, you know, when you feel like you're being accused, whether that's in your mind or by somebody else, and yeah, you're no good, and yeah, you are rotten, and yeah, you're this, and yeah, you're that, and those mind, those thoughts pop into our mind. You know where they come from, because that's not our Father. Oh, look at you. What kind of Christian are you? You're supposed to witness to that person, and, and you just let it go. You know, we, we know who that is. We know where that comes from. Oh, look at you. You're supposed to be, you know, Mr. Bible and or Miss Bible or Miss, you know, doing it right. And look at your attitude or look what you did do or what you didn't do. And so when those accusations, you know, whether they come through a mouth of a person or in our own mind, you know, we know where those things come from. And I'm not even saying the accusations aren't true because certainly they can be true. But what we have to remember is just that we don't fall into that trap of the devil where we, you know, you know, we allow that to, to affect us, which is what he's trying to do, is trying to knock us out. And what we have to remember is, you know, uh, yes, that might be true, uh, but 
you know, it's covered in the blood. Thank you for your forgiveness, Father. And I don't have to, you know, repeat that or be trapped in that or continue to think that way or act this way or something. And just know he, he is doing the accusation. And when um, I was just talking to a, a brother today and on the phone and, uh, you know, we were talking about something. He was talking to somebody and they made some accusations towards him about some things that were that were pretty far off. And, you know, it's just a good memory. It's like, hey, bro, don't forget who's who, who's the one that's throwing out accusations all the time. And where does that come from? That just comes from the enemy. And we know that's what he does. And we just don't have to fall prey to those accusations where, you know, oh, you know, might as well give up because, you know, I did this or failed in this area here. Uh, that's what he does. He accuses. And again, you know, one of the, you know, he's known man from the beginning of man, and he knows that one of the strongest desire, if not the strongest desire, natural desire in a person is for life, right? I mean, you go underwater, uh, you know, you, you start running out of breath, you know, you want to get to the surface because, you know, you start panicking because you don't want to die. And of course, the, the will to live is, is, you know, probably the greatest uh, uh, you know, desire that, that we have just to stay alive. And if that's threatened, you know, Satan's accusation is, uh, you know, he's going to fold up, you know, like a tent and that's going to be the end of it. But the great thing as a believer, as a Christian is, is that we know this uh, life in eternity is, is out there. Every, my life is, does, is not consist of this world and, you know, me breathing and uh, all these kind of things. It, it doesn't. We know there's eternity. As a matter of fact, we know that this life is but a mere breath. In, in comparison to the length of eternity, it's a blink of an eye in, in our lives. And this isn't the end. And, of course, that's a great uh, peace and strength and assurance we have as believers is... Uh, we know the soul lives eternally, and our promise is to, you know, it's to be heaven, you know, paradise, where everything is perfect and wonderful all the time. And, you know, when we leave this body here, we, we move into, you know, wonderful uh, eternity. And so, it even though in Satan's mind, oh, you know, he always uses that ploy, oh, that's it, you're done, you know your life is over and that's the end of it. And of course, he puts the fear of that in all sorts of people, but we know as believers that it's not. And, you know, again, he, he said, um, uh, it's, that's just not, you know, uh, he said that's, he'll fold like a tent, but that's not what, um, you know, uh, he, he knows how man is. And so, uh, you know, the Lord um, says to him here, uh, Verse 6, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So again, it just reminds us, it just shows us that, you know, the, what the devil can and can't do. You know, our Heavenly Father limits him and allows him and puts limits, and he can't do anything outside of what the Lord allows. Remember, again, um, People get it mixed up. They think, you know, there's God over here, there's the devil over here, and, you know, they're battling it out, and sometimes good is winning, sometimes evil is winning, you know, it's touch and go at times, and this and that, you know, the Eastern religion, you know, there's the yin and the yang, and, 
You have to have, uh, when you have light, you always have the equal opposing force of darkness, so it balances everything out. Nonsense. That's not at all what's going on. Satan is a created being, and there's no contest. When God says Satan's done, he just dispatches uh, Joe Angel and says, you know, throw him you know, in the bottomless pit for, you know, a thousand years. Uh, he's going he's to be in there for, for a while. And, and that's it. It's done. There's no battle. There's no big this or that. You know, when he's done, he's done. And so there's no uh, balance of power that way. Um, just remember that. He controls what he does. He said, listen, okay, um, but you can't take his life. And so verse 7 says, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took, verse 8 says, for himself potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. Now again, we don't know the time lapse between, you know, the conversation and when this happened, but from what we know of Satan, it's probably very immediate um, and, uh, you know, what he does is he inflicts this pain on Job that is from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. So walking is painful. Um, everything is painful. There's nothing that's not painful. You try to lay down, it's painful, you know, on your backside or on your arm or your back or your front or everything. It's just pain everywhere. There wasn't a place on his body that wasn't covered with painful sores. Um, again, I, I, I don't know how to compare that. I've never had a boil, but I know um, people say that shingles um, are, are very painful. Uh, it's, you know, the, the next step above chicken pox. And, you know, if you ever got chicken pox, you know how typically they're all over your body. Well, this is the same kind of uh, bacteria, I believe, and it and it it's it's called shingles, and it's very painful because it affects the nerve endings. Uh, so maybe think of shingles on steroids. I remember I was in the doctor some years ago, and um, you know the nurse said, "Oh, you haven't gotten your shingles vaccination." And I said, "Shingles vaccination? You know, I I knew about shingles, but I didn't really know much about it." She goes, "Oh." Yeah, you really want to get it. Once you get over 50, you really want to have that because it helps you from getting shingles. And I said, really, is it that big of a deal? And then she just looked at me with wide open. Oh, yes. It is so pain. I see people come in here and it is so painful what they're going through. And I was like, okay, <laughs> give me the vaccination. Um, and so maybe if that helps you understand a little bit uh, what it's like, but um, it's just, it was just suffering that never stopped. And um, uh, that's what he inflicted on him. And, you know, it talks about these boils and obviously they're erupting in some way and he's trying to scrape them with pottery in some way. And, uh, you know, I, he's doing something, hopefully trying to relieve it, but it, it's not helping at all. Now, again, we, we get some insight here uh, in Scripture uh, we know that disease and physical suffering uh, can come through an attack, just like Job here, you know, Satan is attacking him. So there is uh, that. Now, not all sickness is, not all suffering is uh, an attack of Satan, but certainly it's, 
It's definitely, you know, in Scripture. We see that. As a matter of fact, you know, Jesus will say that as well. You remember in Luke chapter 13, I think it's like verse 17 or something, Jesus, you know, when he's healing this woman, said she had been afflicted for 18 years with a a spirit of infirmity. And, you know, he said she was bound by Satan. You know, uh, her condition was caused by Satan for that 18 long, horrible years. So even Jesus talked about uh, the devil doing that as well. And so, again, just so that we know that now it's not every sickness, not every disease certainly comes from Satan, but it can. And uh, suffering can come from Satan, disease, sickness, and suffering. And you can, some of those are together and sometimes they're separate. So it definitely is something that he can do. But, you know, just step back and think a little bit here. You know, Job is suffering horrible physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual pain at this time. He's got the weight of losing all his children. He has the weight of, uh, of losing every source of income that he has. He, he has the weight of all the suffering and pain that he's under personally. Uh, you know, he is maxed out in physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pain. As a matter of fact, as we go through these 35 or so chapters of Job talking about his pain and suffering, I think it's something like, I counted them up, I think it's like 17 different types of suffering he'll talk about. So when we read about these boils, we think, okay, he's got all these things, but the effects of those boils or the disease that Satan inflicted him with has all sorts of, well, has 17 different types of things he'll discover from, you know, not being able to sleep, not being able to eat, to having this and that. He'll, he'll describe 17 different, you know, conditions that come along with it. So don't think it was just like one thing. That, whatever he was, you know, he put into his body that made the boils come had all sorts of other physical effects. That's the point I want to say here. And again, just remember where he is, and also remember that according to the Father, this is a guy who is living right, who loves the Lord, and has the worst things happen to him. Uh, again, I, many people believe, and I'm one of them, that Job is the earliest recorded book in the Bible. Now, of course, Genesis takes us to the beginning, but it wasn't the first book uh, necessarily recorded. Uh, Job, some people will say it was 500, maybe even 1,000, maybe 1,500 years, maybe even more before that. And, and I, uh, I tend to believe that for a number of reasons, but one is that you know, God's making it very clear, uh, as we talked about last time, you know, the question that's on people's mind quite often is, why do good people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, that can be a very broad topic, and most everybody thinks they're good. If you ask them, are you a good person? I I don't think anybody that I would ask that to would say no. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm a good person. Why? Because they think they're better than somebody that they know is what they consider doing worse. So I'm not really talking about that, although people 
certainly, you know, think that way for the most part. But, you know, even about believers, and they think somehow that we're insulated from things happening. Um, and the more we do right, the more godly we live, the less problems and difficulties and heartaches we're going to have. And Job just uh, throws that out. In fact, that's when his three friends come to comfort him, uh, you know, that's what they're thinking as well. And God's making that very clear at the beginning uh, that, you know, that that's not who I am and don't get that thinking in, in, stuck in your head. But just remember the horrible pain, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, uh, happening to a guy that's living right and loves the Lord. So the boils are on him. He's suffering all these things and all these other effects that I was talking about, the 17 others. And if that wasn't bad enough, we have verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, it's interesting, you know, all of Job's children were taken and all his businesses and all his wealth were taken but his wife was spared. Now, you know, uh, maybe because the enemy knew that, you know, she wouldn't be a big encouragement to him. Um, I, you know, some people think that. I tend to think, you know, because she's going to be used by the Lord at the end of Job's life. But certainly right here, she is a big discouragement. Uh, to Job. Now, whether she means to be or not, I, I kind of go back and forth on this. You know, certainly it could be she sees all this suffering on so many different levels happening to her husband that she just thinks, man, it's just better if you just end it all. I mean, it's so bad that the best thing to, that could happen to you is that it all ends. You know, you just die. And, you know, that could be her heart, although I, you know, I think that's in there. I don't personally think, you know, that, uh, that was maybe her complete heart. You know, she, uh, again, just, you know, saw all this and just, you know, maybe she wanted it all out of her life too. But certainly, a, you know, a... a, a a discouragement to Job, whatever her motive is. You know, her idea is just let it all go. You know, just let it all go. It's all done with. Everything's ruined. Just forget it. Let it all go. And, uh, and again, no matter what her intention was, whether it was good or bad or mixed or something, it certainly was to, it was discouragement. You've got nothing now, Job. You might as well just die. Right? That, anything but encouraging words. But let's see how he answers in verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, you got to love what, what Job did here at the end. You know, uh, even though it was very discouraging, and remember the horrible things that were happening to him? even though he was a good guy, and then, then she throws, you know, more fuel on the fire, you know, his response was, he didn't argue, he didn't lose it, you know, he just basically said, God's in charge. You know, I trust the Lord no matter what happens. I know he knows what he's doing. 
And, you know, if you're one of those, you know, underliner or highlighters in your Bible, that, you know, that's just such a great response. Now, in, in a little bit here, he's going to go, you know, and he's going to complain. And he's going to spend quite a bit of time complaining about stuff. But, you know, in, in his heart, uh, he knows that, um, you know, uh, I'm going to trust the Lord no matter what happens. Because he knows what he's doing. And uh, you got to give him that. Well, after he answers her, now we get some more information. Verse 11, and, you know, now uh, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliaphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Ammonite. For they had uh, made an appointment together to come and to mourn with him and to comfort him. When they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. And verse 13 says, So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was great. Now, again, uh, here are these three friends of Job. And I'll put this map up here because it gives you some idea of how far they traveled. Um, And they were friends of Job, but yet they didn't live close. So, you know, they're making a long, difficult journey to comfort Job. And I really believe, you know, as we get into all this and we read all this stuff as we go into these 35 chapters of of all this that these guys are going to say, and there's a fourth one that will come in at the late. He's not mentioned in the first three, but he's there as well. Um, you know, they have a genuine love and concern for Job. You know, they were willing to come. And when they came and saw him, it's important to see this. You notice they did not even recognize him in verse 12. I mean, they knew what Job looked like, and they were probably friends for a long period of time. But when they saw him, they're kind of like each other. Is that Job? Is, is that Job? Is that? I mean, that's how bad he looked. He wasn't recognizable to them. It has to be. There's nobody. You know, eventually they 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 know it's him. But uh, that's how bad Job was afflicted. When you see all this, um, and to the point where, you know, they couldn't even recognize him. Um, Now, I I think there's a great lesson found in here because, you know, as a pastor and over the years talking to people and we, you know, know of people that have gone through very difficult times and deaths and heartaches and problems and this and that and families and, and all sorts of heartaches and difficulties and you know, people will come over and, and they'll say, yeah, I know such and such happened to them. And, and um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know I, I know it's really sad, um, but, you know, I, I just don't know what to do. I, I wouldn't know what to say if I went over there, you know. Uh, you know, 
you know, I, I, you know, I, I just don't know. How, how can you talk about that? What can I say to them that will help them? What, what can I do? And and then so people tend to stay away from from that only because they just they don't know what to do. And I think this is a great example here that these guys come, and then they see Job, and they sit where Job is sitting, and Job is sitting in an ash pile. Remember. And what they do is they sit down there and they put themselves, I believe, in Job's place, which I think is so important to do, you know, when somebody's mourning over a number of things that can happen that are just heartbreaking in life. And they don't say anything for seven days. And what I try to encourage people, as I'm doing now, is, you know, yes, you don't know what to say. And yes, you're right. There is no comforting words that you can give in the sense that there's nothing that you can say that's going to bring this great comfort. And, and not that words can't comfort and the Lord can't use you, but I said, don't worry about having to come up with the perfect thing to say. Just being there is huge. As a matter of fact, you don't need to say anything. You just need to be there like these guys and just show up. I know it's difficult and it makes you feel awful and you want to help, but you don't know how to help. But the greatest thing you can do is to go and to be there and put yourself there. And if you get an opportunity to share a little something, great. If you don't, then you, you're just there as support. And just be there, be available, and your presence alone can bring great comfort. Just know that. These guys don't even bother speaking to Job until Job speaks, which is seven days later. Literally, they're camping with him, next to him, seven days and seven nights. And then Job is going to talk, as we'll see in verse 3 here. But they were willing just to sit there with him and 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 just to be in the presence there of comfort. And I think that's a great lesson for us. You know, your presence of just being there is very important and very comforting to people. Now, as we get into chapter 3 here, uh, and as we go all the way through to verse 30, or not verse, chapter 37, we're going to see all sorts of opinions offered by these three friends and another one that we'll be introduced to later on and Job himself, that are not Scripture. In other words, they're recorded in Scripture, but they're not the Word of God. And the Bible has a, a, a lot of that, where God just records what a person says or what a person thinks, and it doesn't mean because it's written in here that that's what God thinks or what it's God's Word. He's going to allow Job to vent, and these three guys, or actually four of them, to 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 attribute things to him that aren't true and aren't right. But we were getting to hear, you know, what exactly is going on. So just, just remember that as we go through this. And we'll see this pattern throughout um, these chapters, all the way till chapter 38. You know, you usually see that Job will speak for a couple of chapters, and then one of his friends talks. And then Job will speak for a couple of chapters, and then his friend will talk for a chapter. Uh, generally, that's the way it happens here. And because there's 35 chapters of this, you know, we're going to look at these coming 35 chapters in more of a survey. We're going to pick pieces out from it in the 35 chapters as we go through here and look at it a little bit. But uh, again, um, 
uh, as we go through this, just remember the difference between Job and us. You know, Job doesn't have the understanding that we do. You know, he really doesn't know the Lord, and, 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 and the Lord hasn't been revealed to him as he's been revealed to us today. So he doesn't have that. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. You know, we have that mystery revealed to us, as it says in Philippians. You know, Jesus in us. He doesn't have that. And, and again, he doesn't know um, what's been revealed to us as the curtain of heaven was pulled back in chapter 1 and chapter 2. You know, we get the background. We get to see what's going on in heaven. He doesn't get any of that information. So as we go through that, you know, as we go through this, keep this in mind. And I think, you know, if you really think about it, he'll say many things uh, what, uh, of what maybe we would say if we were in that situation, okay? And so just keep that in mind as we go through this. And, and know here in verse 1, seven days have passed, and now he's going to talk. And, and he says this, verse 1, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which... It was said, a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of day terrify it as for that night may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the, of the months. Verse 7, oh, that, oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day, those who are ready to uh, arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for night but have none and not see the dawning of the day because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Verse 11, why didn't I die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that, they, that I should nurse? And so we see the pain of Job here. You know, uh, he, he, he says all this, you know, uh, that because of all that's going on in his life, because all that happened, he's thinking it would just been better if I had never been born. You know, may it not have happened, may, you know, you know, it's just been so much better that I had never been born. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that. You know, where you say, I'd rather never experience anything than to experience this. That's exactly what Job is saying here. And he's focusing on the past with regret and the present as if it will never end or change. And when we do that, you know, we can have that same kind of feeling. You know, we, we look back with regret and we see our present situation as something that's never going to change. And it can knock the wind out of us in a heartbeat. You know, there is nothing good coming forth for me here, um, and so why am I even here? But as we know, that's not all true. You know, and certainly it, 
when we'll read through this, we'll see that how Job was used by the Lord, how he did many great and wonderful things for so many people, and he, and he blessed so many people, and, and, and blessed his children, and blessed people around him, and, and served people, and was used in a great way. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he really was. But at this time, it's, it's very difficult to see all this during this fight. And I like this quote. It says this, um, Now we can say that the battle enters into entirely other arena, the arena of Job's mind and soul. How will he choose to think about his suffering? How will he choose to think about what others think about his suffering? How will he choose to think about God in all this? And I like that because, again, you know, he, he is, um, you know, th- this, it's moving out, you know, uh, into his mind and into his soul. How, how is he going to process all this? And, um, you know, focusing on the past with regret and present like it's never going to change. And it looks miserable. And he comes to the conclusion, it's better to than not be born. And verse 13 says, for, uh, for now I would have lain still and been quiet. So if I was never born, this would have, would have happened. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw the light? And again, he's, he's saying all that, you know, and he's expressing his understanding about death. You know, see, if I was never born, then this is what have, would have happened, you know? I would be at ease, I'd be at rest, and, you know, even people, you know, uh, uh, you know, Kings and counselors who were, you know, had so much and gold and this and that and filled all this, you know, I'd be hanging out with them. And, and his thoughts about death do not line up with the Bible. Uh, again, God's word is inspired. God made sure that it was recorded perfectly. But these are Job's ideas here. And, and that's what he's thinking. You know, if I was born, then then everything would have, been, would have been good for me. And I would have joined all these people who may not have been enjoying anything at this point. And it's sad because, um, you know, there's been some churches that have made and developed doctrines uh, off some of these things that Job and his friends say. In fact, the Adventists are one that came up with soul sleep because of this. And, and it's not Job's feelings and his opinions that he's saying in the worst of the worst conditions you know, aren't certainly anything that we can come up with uh, scripture and this is from God. These are his raw emotions coming out that a lot of times don't accurately reflect the Bible or God's word at all. And, and so that's what's happening here. And he's going to continue with this thought, what eternity would be like if he was dead in verse 17. Um, there, there uh, the wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor, the small and greater there, and the servant is free from his master. No, Job, that's not right. The wicked aren't at rest. 
As a matter of fact, we know they are in torment when they die. Now, at this time, before uh, you know Jesus was resurrected, um, you know there was this place called Sheol, Sheol, and um, it was a place of uncomfort, misery. You know the story in Luke chapter 16 of, of the rich man and Lazarus. Talk, Jesus talks about that. So again, uh, you know, there was two compartments, it seems, and, and when Jesus was resurrected, then the, the, the side of paradise was called, or where Abraham was, was taken into heaven, and, and this place of torment was expanded. And, of course, it's not hell, because hell's going to come later on, chapter 20 of Revelation, and after that, they'll go there. But until that point, the wicked are in a place of misery and torment. And they're not all there together. Yes, there's people that obviously uh, who lived oppressed lives and, and, and you know, had difficulties and all that um, and that knew the Lord are experiencing rest. But those that don't, they're certainly not. And again, um, it's important that we see this. And people think this, you know, if I, if I just... I'm gone, if I'm dead, then everything, all the pain will end, and all the stuff will end. And that's really the deception of suicide, isn't it? Um, you know, it's going to be this misery and this pain is all going to be gone and taken aware of. Um, and quite frankly, if a person doesn't know the Lord and commits suicide, they're actually entering in a worse torment and a worse pain. And, and greater and greater suffering. Um, but again, um, and the same is true. You know, in California, we, we rush to pass laws to have doctor-assisted suicide here. You know, um, some people rushing into what's going to be far worse, and they think they're helping them, and they're rushing them into something far worse. But also, you know, um, you know that, that's the deception of of suicide and wanting to be dead, just like Job is here, you think everything's going to be okay. And it's not necessarily true. In fact, verse 20 says, um, while, uh, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter soul? Who long uh, for death, but it does not come and search for it more than hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sign comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dread has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. And again, we see here, you know, that that's um, so much, you know, I, I, I only want to die. And uh, again, um, he, he just can't understand, uh, you know, God has been there, but it seems like he's not there. He's not helping out now. And uh, again, we need to remember the Lord's ways aren't our ways. And just because it doesn't make sense to us, um, that doesn't mean that he's out of it and he doesn't care and he's not involved. And, and, you know, we see some of the misery here of Job. He, you know, he can't sleep, dread. He feels like he's just constantly 
groaning like water's being poured out. And, uh, you know, there isn't any comfort for him. And death seems to be the only solution. And, you know, he's kind of moved aside that God's going to do anything or God cares right now. It's just all bad. It's always going to be bad. and It's never going to change. And it's just time for it all to end. And, and as I just said a little bit ago, sadly, some people think that way, you know, today. Um, they think, you know, if they commit suicide that, you know, that's the only solution. And um, it's also important to remember, you know, some church doctrine, it's the unpardonable sin. Well, that's completely untrue. You know, Jesus died for the sinner, and once you receive that gift of salvation by faith, the finished work on the cross, your sins are wiped away. And they can't be changed by any action of man, right? By any action of man. And, and certainly the believer, you know, just because, you know, they reach this point and it seems so dark and then they, you know, just mistakenly do this, that doesn't mean that, oh, you know, that's it. They're, they're cut out of eternity and, and heaven. Certainly the believer can't change and wipe and be wiped out because of you know one action by them all the finished work and the promises of the lord we need to remember that but more importantly we just need to remember that you know some people get this far down and uh, they, they need help they need those that to comfort them and be there and and sometimes you speak sometimes you don't and and you know people sometimes need to pour out their feelings even though they're not necessarily accurate or they're wrong but they're just kind of feeling through everything the raw emotions are kind of going out and then once those go out you know in the life of a believer then the holy spirit comes in and you know that's not true and that's really not right and now that's you're gone too far on this and yes you know he does that and then he kind of brings us back around and does all this but you know right now job is so miserable it's just it's just being poured out here and you got to give these guys credit, even though they're going to make a lot of mistakes. They're here, and they're hearing all that Job has to say. And um, again, um, uh, taking it in, allowing Job to do that, uh, that, you know, in the end, they might bring him comfort. And so next time, we'll, we'll continue on with Eliaphaz, the first one to speak and, and hear what he has to say and go through some of Job's response and some of the things that... Uh, you know, they have wrong about accusing God of, uh, of this and that. And uh, we get some clear instructions uh, from the Lord uh, of who He is and what He's like through this. And so let's pray and we'll, we'll pick it up next time. Father, we do thank You for this time in Your Word, Lord. And we ask that You would just um, minister to us the things that You have spoken to us, Lord. Help us to grab onto them and, and hang on to them, Lord. Um, uh, there, there's so much that... You know, you want to show us and reveal yourself to us, Lord, and help us to do uh, just that, Father. As we hear from you tonight, Lord, may it just um, be hidden in our heart, Lord, um, for when we might go through these times or might be around somebody else that is or, or both or a combination of those things, Lord, um, because uh, there's so much to gain from this, both good and bad. And so, Lord, I pray that that would happen in our hearts tonight, Lord. And we thank you for your love and who you are. And, um, Lord, we're thankful that you want to instruct us in this and uh, make it clear to us 
again uh, today and help us to receive that instruction. Uh, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.